Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. I wanted to kick off this podcast with two ideas for you. Okay. All right. The first is I wanted to bring it up because I don't know if it's that big of an issue. Uh, And this pertains to all architects or anything that basically you have to go to the city to for approval. And you can either have no revisions whatsoever and it just comes through. Client doesn't even tell you. They're building the house and they're like, oh, yeah. Had that happen before. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. To... Uh, 14 rounds of revisions. That's exaggeration. And then we look like the bad guys. And then we look like the bad guys. And then, so it, it can it can span the craziness, you know, for, from those extremes. So I thought, what if we try to make it more clear in our contract? And I don't know if I, we want to pull the trigger because it just might lead to... Um, more clear about what? That, about that the, the, there's a possibility of bo- all the all of the, all of the above. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it might lead to like information overload. But here's what I'm thinking. <clears throat> I put in the example contract. So in our contract, we have phases: schematic design, design development, and then CDs, right? And then basically the contract says what CDs are your permit set. Here's a listing of of the sheets you're gonna get, and then it goes into our boilerplate legal stuff, right? Within that legal stuff, there is reimbursable expenses, right? right? So I thought, what if we did the, what if we put a phase in there that said post-submittal, right? And it said- Post-submittal phase. Yeah, exactly. All right. You know, weeks one to three, whatever, post weeks, address city comments, resubmit uh, based on, you know, on city comments, Um, the deliverables, you know, I just wrote this up, so we'll format it a little bit better, but- you know, the resubmittal plans, coordinated, and then fee, hourly as necessary, first eight hours gratis. <clears throat> Sorry. Keep going. So that's an idea that I wanted to bring up. And I like it, except I don't like the first gratis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we normally do that. We, But I don't do eight hours anymore. What do you do? Six, I do, four? if it's less than an hour, I'll just take care of it. And my comments have been less than an hour. Mm. Even dealing with Denver this last time? On the first round? Yeah. Yeah. It, the hardest part about Denver and getting your plans uh, submitted properly is every time we go in there, there's something extra that they want on the plans, and then they reject the initial submittal. Before it even gets in. Right. And usually, and that, and then we just take care of it, no matter, basically no matter what, because it's really hard to justify anything at that point, because it's, uh, the clients and everybody else expects, like, what are you guys doing? This should be accepted. Exactly. Our deliverable is a set that gets accepted. Exactly. Exactly. And so then, so so on the second on the second round though, we have been getting comments back where like it's less than an hour. And a lot of it is just copy paste. I'm literally copying and pasting exactly what the building official is saying onto our drawings and it makes them happy. Yeah, exactly. And then and then so, they're done. I haven't had a lot of craziness happen lately. The, and actually most of mine this came from um getting it into the city and it's mainly come from Denver because Denver right. did this huge, huge, crazy sh- shift. Yeah. Um, but I still like this idea of adding it to the contract a hundred percent. We'll just have, I'll just have to format, uh, I'll just have to format it in the way that I, that we think that is, yeah, or we, exactly. we, we will, I should yeah, say. Yeah. This was just the first step because who knows too, if, um, 
what another city switches over mid to middle you know and then literally later, uh, and that's and that's how it happens exactly it's this weird yeah. oh we just hired jan and jan is in there she replaced becky thank god because becky was awful yeah. but now jan's even worse mm. man i didn't know you could go <laughs> you could go worse but they did wow okay second idea um in our boilerplate it ends with hourly fees hourly rates right so we have our drafting fee our architect record fee structural engineer fee and that's where we stop yeah right? What if we had in there just to let them know? Again, this might be information overload. Landscape design. So in the you know like, hey, normally that doesn't happen until later, but you can contact through us. We know our landscape designers. We can help run and coordinate that. Interior design. Again, we know that too. And then photo realistic renderings, right? And these are again, you know, these numbers will switch and we'll we'll hone in on right interior and exterior just in case here's, they want here's why here's how we have to format it then so alex put this in right right in our schedule of additional hourly rates what we should do is there should be an additional there should be there should it should read there should additional be another services yes schedule of optional optional additional services yeah and then then i don't think it's it's overload you just have to make it i think you have to make it distinctly clear from the other one yep and, and then i think that's a i think it's a good idea and honestly it'd be nice to just be able to put fixed fees in though for like let's say just say this is a custom house or a custom remodel um or commercial commercial buildings are a little bit trickier because we have to, well they're not trickier because we have to do all that stuff anyway yep so i would like to too but in my head what it came down to is like okay then we need to contact the la unless we're going to do it ourselves aka one of our guys jason is going to do it <laughs> landscape he's the landscaper yep then, then then i think we could right especially if it if it goes through and we know that the cities will accept it from us but to to put together a package within 24 hours and then call these other people and then get them like one that's going to take a phone call then two they're going to take a day and then it's a three-day thing you know like it, just to get a hard number right it's but i think what you're our, right but i think what you what you just mentioned is is perfect so then we say okay let's go contact let's go con let's contact let's finally get in touch with a, a landscape architecture firm that we like to work with and we just say here's here's what we're put in for your number can we do that oh, for oh, customs? And, and and don't um don't have them look and change. But like, no, here it, is we just number. say like it is a house. It is that we need some kind of boilerplate fee we can put in for you. Same thing with interior design. Then we can start putting in uh, for like maybe you know the interior designers we want to work with. Just here you go. Here's what it costs. Additional services if you guys yeah. want. or additional optional additional services if you want. I don't think it's bad to have yeah. options and, at and, all. And but maybe, we just have to make it clear that like this is outside of the original. This is an option. Yep. Then I don't think it's overload. It's overload if they think it's our this. They're getting roped into something more than we're originally suggesting. Yeah, and then I think we just need to look through all the house housings that we do and come up with categories like, okay, here's a house on a one acre site. What's your one acre site? Um, what's your one acre site with a uh, irrigation plan? What's your half acre site that's just traditional suburbia? You know, and then we'll know the house. And what's we'll our incentive for this? Uh, Oh, additional fee because we have to coordinate and all that. So, like, they'll give us their fee. Let's say $3,000. Okay. Okay. Now it's 3500 Got it. And just built into the optional. That's interesting. Hey, yeah. that's not a bad idea. And then to go to go on top of that, <laughs> like, I, I got crazy with these ideas. Um, some company, because of our tiny house, wanted us to become resellers for some sort of toilet system. That, that, that they had. Okay. And I, I don't know what I said. I said, I just kind of. How come of blew nobody ever contacts us to be like resellers of beer? Oh, 
That'd be great. Right? Drink it all. Yeah. Tiny house whiskey or something. Yeah. What's going on? Exactly. <laughs> um, but what I don't know, I don't even know if it's illegal or not, because it seems like the word kickback, which we do not want to do. Right. But w- what are like... It's con- affiliate. Yeah, you're affiliate. An, you're an affiliate. Affiliate. That. That's yeah. not. There's nothing bad about that. Everybody. A lot of people do that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know we're th- we're, already, we're already doing that, in, yeah. aren't we? Well, I, I think this is something we'd work out with with the contractor, or maybe we'd have like, hey, with our CD set, we deliver a page that says, um, if you, you know, like, um, oh, what are our big things? I really, Side, I really window, like, solar I really panels. like the craziness of where you're going now. Yeah, it's not even crazy. This is awesome. Yeah. So siding, windows, solar panels, and if we could funnel that through our channels and then say, Hey, at least have us bid it out these things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Interior designers do this all the time. This is people listening are probably like, you guys are idiots. This is people already do this. Yeah. You know what? Entree <laughs> architect community. Can, can you tell us if Just anybody have, who's listening? Um, yeah. Can you tell us if, if this is a thing and maybe we'll ping them on Facebook too. Interior designers do this constantly. I know, but then why can't I don't? I've never heard of an architect doing that. Why can't we do that with for built, siding, with, windows, solar panels, and roofing, and yeah. roofing? Oh, and roofing, absolutely, huh? That's yeah. I, we should we should just talk to one of our contractors that does a lot of our work and say, hey, what lumber yard are you using? Can we get in touch with them? Or, or are you are you thinking you have to go right to the manufacturer? Like, how does it work? I don't know, huh? You just got to start down the rabbit hole, maybe. <sighs> yeah. But here's another thing too. So with yeah, why, lumber why, yards, why wouldn't we do this? So with lumber yards, because we had someone who worked at a lumber yard and, and now does again, anyways. So he he was kind of griping a little bit that the salespeople come in and they get a commission per yep. sales, and the people that draw it have compared bigger, to the estimators, yeah, yeah, and the estimators. I mean, just imagine all the work, and especially working off of AutoCAD plans, counting studs, disgusting. Oh, you're right. So they'd get these big commissions just for you know whining and dining. So. Can we have those commissions? Is right. that where it works? Like, right. I will bring Lumberyard you this project. Exactly. Can I have this commission? Can we have? Yeah, we should. We should. We should figure that out. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sales, Salesforce. Yeah, you're getting crazy. Crazy, awesome. Yeah, but then how? The only thing is, I, I love it. Is that? Um, well, wouldn't the contractor have those contacts, too? So I don't know where it comes in. I don't know, but maybe it's something like. I don't know. Maybe One it's that co- sheet that explains like, hey. Uh, the owner wants and we want you to, you know, b- bid out yours, but also bid out ours. If they're the same, that's fine. But if they're different, at least get them from both. Yeah. So at least it's a possibility of that. Right. And then, and then once, you know, once it's out to the, to the owner and the contractor, we let those people know, uh, lumber yards, siding people, Hey, if this project comes in. This is our referral. There you go. I think we just have to go down the rabbit hole and see if it's even a, it's yeah. even a thing of possibility. So that's all I got. I'll just check out for the rest of the uh, podcast. Let you lead. Wow. So now it's my turn, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that idea. Absolutely. So here here's what I have. Um, so we were gonna we should have asked this uh, poll question last week in the Entree Architect community. How many design options do you uh, do you give your clients? Because we went we talked about it on our podcast. So. So I did it. I did that. I asked, if you are designing a custom home for a new client, how many initial design options do you give them? So here's here, here, here's where it came to, broke down to, Al. 29 said three options. 11 said two options. And six said one option. 
And then our, our wonderful friend, Adam Mayberry, so eloquently pointed out, actually, if you only give him one, isn't that a solution? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked go, your GIF go, reply. Oh. You got me there. <laughs> I was like, mm, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm giving you one a design, design solution. solution. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and what we said is that uh, <laughs> if we were going to do multiple options, it would be based off, <laughs> off the same concept. But th- doesn't, I mean, I haven't done three design options in years. I want to say years. I want to say the same thing too. I don't, I'm not, I can't think of when we've done, I've done multiple options. Yep. Uh, and we were talking with our friend Nick, who does Nick Reads um, on this podcast. We were talking with him a couple days ago and we were talking about fees and he gets better fee percentages per project than ours. But then I'm wondering like, okay, are you doing more work? Which might lead, he does great architecture, dig architecture. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. In Florida, so, so look him up. Um, but is that where then, okay, your fees bigger, but your hourly rate, maybe that's where we catch up is because of our efficiency. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, uh, there was another member, there was another member on the group that said, uh, he asked, okay, what is your, what is your flat fee for a custom house? And I, and I said what it is. And then he said, man, isn't that low? And then I said, for us, it works. And we've done the reverse math and we've done, and you know what? I didn't have time to do this morning. And I actually second guessed myself. I had a glass of wine last night and I told my wife, I was like, wait, wait and see what I'm going to do on the podcast tomorrow. I'm going to, because people are saying, aren't your fees too low? Then I'm going to break down. I'm going to do the reverse math and prove that we make like more per hour than a doctor and learn. Then what's going to happen? But I didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That that wine gets into Lance's blood. (laughs) It was a really good glass of wine. It was a Lance-sized glass of wine. I was like, this is a good idea. Half a bottle bottle glass. So I I didn't do that. So I didn't do that. (laughs) But I do think we could make a case for it. Um, But what what I'm getting at is, so um, then then I got into a little bit of a discussion. It was a good discussion with with this other architect. and And he said... Well, does that fee include selecting all the finish, the finishes, the fixtures, um, and inter- basically, basically interior and exterior design on a on a like spec level? Yeah. And to which I replied, uh, "Nope, it doesn't." And he goes, "Oh, well, then I think that fee is justified, one hundred percent." Yep. And uh, does we should ask Nick? Does he do like a spec book too? I. That's a great question. Or is it like a spec sheet? Yeah. 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 Yeah, because he was saying he did a really cool modern house, and then they rounded the corners on gyps or you know something that just he was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> oh, he probably did like what I had to do in my house, like orange peel and yeah. Like, I wanted to make that joke thing. on the thread, like yeah, some idiot put orange peel in a modern house. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Who was that guy? Um, <laughs> my wife made me do it, just so you know. Yeah, she. We, we were tired of living in the hotel for ten days as our house was finished, and then we're like, okay, just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, 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 what I'm struggling going, yeah. to what I'm struggling to figure out is, I want to put a name to the set that we deliver. It's above a builder set, but it's below this. Uh, it's below this like six to ten percent fee that you would get if you were if you were specking everything. I don't know what to call it because on the last two custom houses that I've done, which are modern, they're contemporary, they're cool, yeah. and they're 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 the construction budget was between eight hundred thousand and one point two million. So I don't know, they're pretty good houses. But uh, what we did we at the so as far as specking goes. We did, because they were both in HOAs, we do always have like one sheet of, okay, here's the exterior materials that you picked. But the cl- our clients are doing it, and our clients typically do a really good job. 
yeah. then the other thing, the other thing is like, I don't know if these other cities that everybody else, they have to have the same thing we do here in Denver. So in Denver we have, it's called the design center. And after I built my house, what I found out what it is, is it's basically like this loose, uh, group of warehouses or, or places where you can go pick out all your fixtures, all your light fixtures, all of your kitchen, uh, every, you know, all of your kitchen finishes, interior finishes, all that kind of stuff. And these, these, the people that they have working are our interior designers and they're working off of commission of selling you the product. So what I feel like what we have here is the free market, you know, it, I mean, it's not, it's never really free, right? But as free as it is, is, is sort of taking care of that portion that we don't take care of anymore. And quite frankly, do you want to be fi- picking out the fixtures with people? No. Okay. And that's not to take away from anybody else who wants to do that stuff. It's just, I, right. I because honestly, it can really make a design pop. It can be awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And but I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So like for jazz house, if jazz house, that was all done by our client and yeah. you go look at those interior pictures. She had great taste, mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. taste. I, yep. th- there wasn't anything I questioned other than, other than like, well, maybe you could have had more modern furniture, but right. like at the end of the day, I know what it was like. I, I grew grew to know them on a very personal level, and I know what it took for them financially to build that dream house. So, like, what am I gonna do? Try to just like dictate how, if you're gonna do twenty, you know, twenty dollar a uh, twenty dollar square foot tile compared to like five or ten, which give you oh. the same look because the architecture is great. Yeah, you know that that's again back to my house. That's the big lesson for me is like. Look, if you crush the architecture and it's clean, it's clear, and you we at least do a really good job on the openings and the windows, yep. everything Mass else boy. everything else falls into place. Dude, you should have seen me. I walked around our neighborhood last night, yeah. and the, there was a full moon, yeah. and the full moon came all the way through my house. Like, we were on the backside of our house, yeah. and you could see it. The backyard. The backyard. You yeah. could see it come all the way through my house. I'm like, yeah, I designed it for that. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you just take credit for everything? Smacked yeah. around the butt. Uh, kept walking. <laughs> designed it for that. <laughs> it, also, too, I think it depends physically, ge- uh, geographically, where you're at and what fees you can get, and then what class of people you're servicing, right? So think about the classes. Uh, lower class, architects. Lower are, middle. Just just call no, it no, that. No. Oh, sorry. No, okay. I'm breaking it down. Oh, okay. Lower class. Uh, architects are not serving them as much because unless you're doing like a shelter or, or low income housing, they're buying existing stock. Exactly. Right. Middle class. I think, I think like today's it's analogous to today's society. It's being broken apart into either you're going to the lower class or you're going to the upper class. So the middle class is just basically, um, the housing suburbs that are putting out and some architects do draw that, right? Or we just do the, that. Yeah. But but ours actually I would say we service the upper middle class. Still in the middle class, the upper middle yes. class. Right? But not the one not the true not the one percent in the way you would think of it, right? Right. But I would say that the upper middle class, you know, you might have two people making seventy five K, right? Uh, and that's the upper middle class. Technically, I don't know where the numbers are, but I would say once you're getting above that 200, 300,000, that's the upper, upper class. I think technically if you're making above a hundred grand, you know, you're in the upper class, but just in, in our speak right now, uh, we see two people making 75 Well, actually the, the so. threshold is 350,000. If you, if your combined you household go. is 350,000, you are technically in the upper 1% of America. 
So right. We, so our typical a lot the last three custom houses that I've that I have under contract right now that I'm designing one is one is super modern is going to be awesome and then the other two are you know different styles or whatever but those clientele for us here in Colorado specifically are they're usually like software engineers and each each person is making a hundred k so I think we're we're still below that three hundred thousand threshold I'd say our clients are like their income are between two hundred thousand and three hundred fifty and we're yep. not at the three fifty so I don't think we've cracked the code of getting into the upper class and doing six seven percent fees I think sometimes in the future we will yeah but then so that's in Colorado it's there in and in Colorado we have this market of upper middle class. I would say in Minnesota, you have um, upper class where you get architects and then everyone below because I live in Rochester, know a lot of doctors, a lot of uh, IBMs there, a lot of engineers. It do- doesn't matter. Those people are upper middle class, borderlining upper class, right? They're like the head of uh, neurology or, or whatever. They are still getting builder sets that they're modifying. I mean, they're big houses. They're really nice houses. And of course, there are some that get architects. And, and who's like picking that. out the finishes? The wife. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, it, it, it doesn't even, like our jobs would barely exist there unless we went and jumped up to the upper class. Yeah. And, and especially all these cabins. Oh my God, the cabins, the lakes up north, they're all builder plans. They're not all of them. I, I will say there, you know, there are some, you know, architects. There's, there's a really cool firm there, but like, Man, it's upper class or builder plans. That's it. There's no in between. And I think we have hit this in between. Yeah. That's what you're saying. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Me too. I think 100%. So it is what it is. Yep. Um, yeah. What do we got next, buddy? So I think we have uh, we have a ret- our first return guest besides our friend Nick. And that is my dad, Old Man River. Old Man River returns. Keith. Uh, we did make a shirt for him. So was it? Uh, we went up in the summer made OMR shirts and it said OMR crew. And then he has a little saying, a uh, Latin saying, and I put it on the sleeve and I g- made one for all of the brothers and you know, stuff like that. And we go down to the basement. We're going to put on some show for the kids and dad's down there, you know, doing something. And we walk down and we all have these shirts on and we sat there for about three minutes and he's talking to us. I'm like, dad, do you notice anything? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like shirts. He's like, what, what? And then I threw his at him. He's like, oh, he thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> So he got his OMR shirt. Yeah, they're slick. They're somebody designed them. Yes, yes. <laughs> somebody with a design eye designed yeah. them. So uh, with that, uh, we will get into uh, part two of Old Man River: Best and Worst Advice. Yes. Yes. Hi, Alex and Lance. Thanks for the invite back. You have two good questions, and I think I would comment or respond as follows. For question one, if you could give. S- one piece of advice for someone just starting out, what would that be? I would say you have to have three things. The first, applicable skills. That means you just have to be competitive. You have to, you know, be in the game per se. Second, got to have a positive attitude. And that means the I'll do whatever you need me to do type of mindset. And third, you need to be aggressive. That means you got to find ways to go above and beyond what is needed. If you got that kind of a framework, you can accomplish a lot. As far as the second question, how would you uh, recommend moving up the corporate ladder? Now that's a tougher challenge, and I believe you need to do at least three things. But since time is limited, I think I'll just share a few words on the first action. 
and that would be you need to establish your significance. And by that I mean you need to be aware of the bigger picture, the kind of uh, think like an exec and act like an exec is so true. That one also means you need to find ways to understand the big problems that the executives are dealing with and to offer creative options or solutions to those for them. And always the challenge, you got to be brief and you have to be ready to provide more details if asked. And then one thing real critical is make sure it's clear as to those aspects that you would lead or complete so they understand the value that you bring and um, get them basically looking to wait. This is a great idea. Let's do this. There you go. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing you both uh, discuss these further online. I'll listen to the podcast. Best wishes. This is Old Man River. Catch you later. Thanks, Dad. Uh, I think that's absolutely great. And I want to start on the first one. And it's what we try to bring when we teach to college. And what college is, is maybe missing out on is that technical skill. No matter what you do, you need a technical skill. And what I found out is that no matter how, how high you get up in the ladder, that you cannot lose that technical skill. So for example, I've watched The Voice a total of one time. <laughs> and uh, some singer, not Brad Paisley, but whoever, people are probably going to scream, whoever's like one of the country guys on The Voice, do you know? Blake Shelton? Sure. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> obviously he, he's a massive, you know, a great singer and all that. And he was coaching someone and he was talking about tone and pitch and all these other musical things that you knew he was, he knew exactly what he was talking about. It is Blake Shelton, just so you know. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that person was singing and he's like, you need to do this, 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 this. And it was like this masterful manipulation into it, like a beautiful, brilliant coach telling exactly what they need right so like he's this superstar but he's getting extremely technical same thing with dr dre like he's on that board he knows exactly what to do so um if you know a skill that is huge um i think attitude then is like one of your multipliers it's a multiplier of what you're doing yes Absolutely. And then aggressive. I could not agree more. I think I'm going to get dad. And now that I say this, I'm going to probably, um, the book extreme ownership. Um, and because Jocko, I just got to bring him <laughs> says, uh, his mode is default aggression. Right. And, and I really like it because I started to think about it. I'm like, well, that doesn't apply. Like he's in war. Right. And he says that the enemy ever comes back, you just increase aggression, right? Fire superiority, all that stuff. But I see very successful people. And what I've been noticing too, some of the people that are hiring us our age, um, even the, the CrossFit, old army guy, fit, um, that big developer um, from way back in the day, fit guy. Yep. Um, one of our buddies that leads uh, a division up in North Dakota, you know, aggressive guy. And what I think, and I just read in another book, he, he didn't say aggressive, he said intense. And I think aggressive, intense, and focus, I think it's key, and it shouldn't be a negative. And I don't think my dad said it's a it's negative. A shark, it's a shark's world. Yep. And I think people sometimes think of it as a negative. And I just wanted to, that was my point to, to add on with my dad, is that aggression, don't think of it as a negative. Think about it as tackling the problem head on and getting it done. So that's my first part, and then I'll let you go, and then I put a line for his, his second part. No, I would, ag I would agree with that, and I actually, I kind of want to take that aggressive idea and then segue it into 
um, one of the things he said is is you need to find you need to find Find your significance. So, <clears throat> yeah, whatever little company, big company, medium-sized company you ever get into, I you, I think the key to help start moving up the ladder or start showing your value is you need to be highly observant and watch for an opening of something or that could uh, a little opening, a little crack, little crack of something that the that the firm, the company could be doing another service and. If and and tackle it head on if it matches your skill set. So for me, when I when I first moved to Colorado, and was working for another firm, there was this idea that we would start building building information content, and I jumped right on top of it. The other employees had had no interest whatsoever, but for, I know I know for a fact that it at least extended my employment there, even though the economy was tanking. It extended it as long as possible, and then what has it done for us? It has been the foothold for everything that we do. So I saw it as an opening at that firm, and then I saw it, and then we both saw it as an opening entire in general for our little industry, right? And it was a way for us to keep keep feeding ourselves throughout the recession, and then obviously then we've used that, and we we've taken a, we've we've applied a good attitude to that BIM skill, yep, and we've and then we've and then we've been aggressive with it, and it's permeated how we teach, how we do everything at the firm, and so it's just been this ever expanding thing that we do. Yeah, yeah. And then to go on his second part where you were at, he said, establish your significance, um, solve the problems above and then solve them completely. So as, a, as um, someone who, you know, we have people working at, the, at this firm, I am so happy and thankful when, when someone helping me out comes to me and they said, and they've solved the problem for me. Like, oh, did you think about this? Yes. Did you think about this? Yeah. Write it down. And everything comes to fundamentals. Um, I was dealing with another professional the other day and, you know, older, smart, smart guy. And all I wanted to do, all, I laid out the week before what the problems were. And then we started going haywire. And I just went back to the problems. Like, can we just focus on these problems and getting solutions? Like, that is the answer to so much, you know, moving up the corporate ladder. Right. If you have if you have a corporate in a small firm, we're not that corporate. Right. But if you have this corporate structure where there's a, a boss and then there's 12 guys or 20 guys under him. Right. And you're the one solving, you know, thinking up the chains and solving that completely. That guy is so happy that you're on his team because guess what? He wants to move up the chain. Right. So if he moves up the chain, guess who he's going to recommend moves up the chain and takes his spot. So that person. And one thing I want to clarify here is though, <clears throat> where Alex is saying, let's just focus. Hey, here's, here's, here's where it gets tricky is. So let's say you have three problems you have to solve on whatever task you're doing or whatever business you're working for. Right. If you just focus on those three problems while at the same is and crush them and then, and then here's where it can go haywire is if you, if you say, if you try start identifying future problems and bringing those up without, without focusing on those additional problems. Yes. However, you, I think you set yourself up to look, to do a better job and also look better for your boss or your superior, or even just your client is if you focus on those three problems then at the same time, you set it up so that you're already solving these future problems that you've identified in your head. Then when you present your solution, it'll just be self-evident. You don't even need to bring it up. So then, right. so, so you're still doing that. But at the same time, you're not overwhelming people with like, well, yeah, we have these three problems, but oh my God, and then we have these other three. Like nobody wants to hear that. Right. Nobody, that's not the way to, to, that's not the way to attack that head on. 
And, and I think here's the nuance to the idea of moving up is that if I solve these three base problems, they're just going to keep me in that role. That's all I'm going to do if I'm going to, you know, solve that. Right. So some people go to, well, I'll take some of my time and solve the higher end projects. Right. But they're not going to move you into that role because you've proven that you can barely solve the base. Exactly. Ones. So the base needs to come first and then your extra time or effort is to that thought above. And then but, when, and then when those extra problems come up in the meeting and you can point to the piece of paper and you can say, Oh look, I've already, I've already thought about that. You're a hero. You're yep. instantly a hero. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this goes right into my next segment because we're talking about advice and we've heard it a couple times. Just do it. Don't be afraid to fail. Right. And when I heard that, I think Caleb was on the last time. I go, yeah, why? I don't even get why that needs to be a saying. Like, what do you mean afraid to fail? That doesn't make any sense to me, but it made sense to me. I brought up a new idea to you yesterday that we're pursuing in the background, not we're still doing our fundamental things. And it's like, and I said, we should teach a new course yeah. at CU, right? Uh, and, and we'll pursue it. But here's, here's, the, here's the fear in that, right? The initial fear, because you asked me, um, we don't even have time. What do we do about this? And I had answers for you. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Perfect, right? <clears throat> but the, when I was thinking about that, we don't have enough time to teach another course, right? And here's where you're afraid to fail. So let's say we went into this new course and we didn't keep one of the old courses. It'd be like, well, what if that old, the new one peters out? What if it doesn't work? What if that, you know, decides, okay, you know, that was good, but the program's going in a different direction. And then we just lost the opportunity cost of that old one, right? That's where that fear comes in. So what I would say to all those that do struggle with the, the, you know, fear to do something is what a lot of entrepreneurs do and they take mitigated risks, right? So my solution was we won't lose that base. We could either split it so that, you know, we right. co-teach or what we've wanted to do is grow our people because teaching makes you better. So what if one of our colleagues then teaches that class? Exactly. So whatever you're doing, if you're afraid to do it, you need to carve out somehow how you keep your foundation and move on. It's not these giant leaps. And, and if it's not, you know, a course, let's say it's time. I don't, if I take my time and do something else, then I'll lose out on, on the fundamentals. So carve out time. Is it going to be from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m.? Is it going to be from 8 to 9.30 at night? You know, that's how you have to mitigate that so that the failure won't become a total loss. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. Al Gore spitting that hot fire 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> the time for is So last week, we unfortunately <laughs> uh, were not... We're not blessed. Blessed. That is exactly the word, blessed, with our best friend's voice yeah. on the podcast. So he is back. He has survived. Uh, he has survived his health condition. Uh, it, was, it wasn't anything too serious. Uh, and uh, we're, we're happy to have Nick back with this week's segment of Nick's Reads. Hello, best friends. Sorry I missed you all last week. Please forgive my absence. A reading. The Importance of Trust. Bad news and change. Some situations drive people to avoid or disregard the truth. This can happen when things go wrong and a manager tries to cover up or gloss over the bad news. It's a terrible example of leadership. 
The correct approach, if a project is proceeding in the wrong direction, is to stop, face the problem, and figure out how to move in the right direction. Even if it means having a difficult conversation with clients or employees. It is far better to deal with the pain and work through the challenge than to avoid the truth and compound the problem to the point where it cannot be resolved. Art Gensler Al, helmet, yellow, not my color. Toodles! I, I don't know what that's referencing. Al, helmet, yellow, not my color. <laughs> I, I'm doing the first letter of each word, like if he's giving me some sort of code. <laughs> Tango, alpha, whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. You don't have to explain that to me. <laughs> so what did you think? Oh, run right at the problem. Right? We say, I don't know how many times we've, we've freaking said it over and over again. That's what... That's what your clients want to hear. That's what the people you work with want to hear. Yep. Is they want to hear you just fess up right away. I promise you. I prom- if you just say, yep, we screwed up, and here's how we're going to fix it. How good does that sound? Man, yeah. I, I even liked hearing myself say that, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and if you don't do it right away when you see it, just know it's going to be a bigger problem in the future. So you're just wasting time. And, and letting the problem, the monster and grow. It's like a wound. It's just going to fester if you don't run right at it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And th- this week's Archispeak talked about a problem where um, the, their files went corrupt and all that. And they were just ta- talking about the internal struggle. But what's crazy is that there's, there's issues uh, with programs. I've had this at least on one project um, where the file went corrupt and we've lost a bunch of hours and, and all that. And we just kind of told the client, like, hey, we're delayed because of, you know, kind of computer technical issues. And at first it was weird me kind of saying that, like, because I don't think they'll get it. But if you, uh, I think people have enough experience, like, if a computer goes haywire, everyone's like, yeah, that's probably a nightmare. <laughs> um, so just just attack it head on. Just great timeless advice from a guy who's been rocking it at architecture for 50 years. Absolutely. There you go. Who are Gensler or or Gensler? Nick? All oh, the, all oh, these are oh, Gensler. Oh, 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 okay. Nick also. Nick. He's <laughs> he looks young. He's pulling it off, right? He's eighty six years old. Fun fact about Nick. <laughs> okay. All right. And with that, uh, we'll get to our closing segment. Continuing Al's awesome streak of crushing the code questions. Whoop, whoop. We are now we are continuing into chapter thirty. So this is from uh, the International Building Code. For all of you non-architects, for all of you architects, uh, here we go. Let's see. This is going to be good stuff. Uh, Chapter 30, Elevators and Conveying Systems. Okay. 3004.2.2, Escalators. Where provide... Because you do escalators all the time, Al. Yeah. Constantly. Where provided in below-grade transportation stations, escalators shall have a clear width of not less than how many inches? Okay. So imagine if you're in New York, you're going subway, subway, going down the subway. Well, I feel I've been in some narrow escalators. Exactly. So that's why you know I'm queuing you up here with yeah. your photographic memory. Okay. So what is the clear width they need to have minimum if they're below grade? Uh, e or sorry, A, thirty inches. B, thirty-two inches. C, thirty-six inches. Or D, forty-two inches. What's E? 
There's no E. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, Where's, can I get a tape measure? Yeah. yeah so let's do, do, do I no. get a tape measure? No, you can't get a tape measure Guess for this. Me. Okay. What is this? Lance? What do you think? How, how many inches is this? 24 inches is what you're, what you're doing right there. Then, then I think, man, as he, as he holds big. his hands out. Yeah. Oh, yeah but I mean, the drawings over here, it's 36 inches wide. How about that? I'll grab that yeah, for you. Grab me that. I'm th- but, but even if I say like, this is what I've been in, doesn't mean that that's up to code. Dun, 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 this is what? 32? 36 in. No, that's 24. Sorry. That's yeah, what I said. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, 24 yeah. inches. Yeah, so maybe. Wow. I'm going to say 30. I'm going to say 30. Incorrect. 32? 32. Mm. It's kind of like a, a, a door, right? You have yeah. to have that. Yeah, for egress. Okay. Yep. In commercial situations. All right. We're done with chapter 30. Congratulations. Woo! Chapter 32. We're going to skip 31. Screw it. Yeah, Chap- what, is, what is 31? Don't ask me. <laughs> it's something. I should have said A. And B. It's like two pages long. I can't remember what it is. Okay. Uh, chapter thirty-two encroachments into this is this is actually a very interesting question um, because you're you're the planner, okay? You're the planner yes. at the firm supposedly. Yeah. Chapter thirty-two. Actually, en- Fernando is, but he doesn't work here anymore. Yeah. Shout out, Fernando. Yeah. Chapter thirty-two encroachments into the public right of way. structural support. Ready? A part of a building erected below grade that is necessary for structural support of the building or structure shall not project beyond the lot lines, except that the footings of street walls or their supports that are located not less than eight feet below grade shall not project more than how many inches beyond the street lot line. So... So oh, let's the street up, line. Yep, so let's mm. street lot line. Street but not lot your line. side. Doesn't say anything about sides. It's saying street lot line. Exactly. A street mm. side. A street. Because they ref- reference a street wall, yeah. right? So if you yeah, have a building. Okay. okay. And then the other key is like, so this foundation has to be eight feet or more below. below. And then yeah. how far can that footing project into? It makes sense that it's street because your side. I'm like you're going into someone else's property. That's not cool. Exactly. So it's a prob- it's a public right of way. Yeah. Situation. Okay. How many inches can your footer extend beyond that street lot line? I actually like this question. Me too. I knew you would like this. Yeah. Because then you don't have to do the you know like your L footing there. Exactly. Yep. A eight inches. B ten inches. C twelve inches. D sixteen inches. So. <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, typical footers. Ours aren't that big, but I mean, we're talking this, a commercial building. We're talking commercial building. This could be huge. Like, wouldn't this pertain to New York skyscrapers? A lot of they'll do caissons, but a lot still, of would be caissons, yeah. But still, those might be round. Some right, huge. Yeah, like a bell know? caisson or something. So, and if it's centered on that exterior wall, it's going to project in. Yep. Um, how many inches? Uh, <clears throat> it can't go more than how many inches? Okay. Yeah. The maximum amount of inches you can encroach into that. I'm going to stay in the upper half with either a C or D with a with a 12 or a 16. Okay. Um, What's your gut say? Go with, go with your gut. 16. 12 inches. Ah. Yeah. Can't go more than 12. Yeah, I think I thought your gut would be twelve inches. I I thought so too, but then I I just I got on this massive scale because re- remember going to the World Trade Center museum? Yeah, seeing how big those are. There's remnants of the World Trade Center towers. Massive. They're just yeah. If you're in New York, that's one museum you need to go into. Absolutely, it's, it's so good. Yeah. Um. Okay, that's it. That's it. Still a hundred for a hundred. Still a hundred for a hundred. You're killing it. 
<laughs> you know what? I, I think you know what codebook we should open up after this one, and I should just I should just do it. I should, I should tab through the residential one, yes. and then we should then we should tackle the residential one. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, why not? So uh, thanks for listening. Please uh, contact us, uh, like us on Facebook, follow um, us on the Twitter. Yep. Twitter. Send Al all of your awesome or me your all of your awesome questions. If you Please want to send them to Al, it's akg at f9productions.com. If you want to send it to me, lmc at f9productions.com. Yeah. Uh, tweet at phone. us. Uh, if leave, go to iTunes, please. Uh, as we're nearing, believe it or not, so this will be I think episode thirty-two. Uh, we have somehow done this for eight months straight now. Yes. And so we're going to continue all the way through the end of the year. Uh, but what really helps motivate us is if you go to iTunes and if you if you if you leave a one star review, actually put five on top of that. Just add it. It's like baking instructions for recipes. Like exactly. Take one star, add five. More. Add five, and then you know we'll keep on doing this. You write a review. Uh, that really helps. Uh, thanks. Uh, keep getting after it, everyone. See ya.